Welcome once again to Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose with Patty. I am Patty Stoolin. I am the host of this uh, episode and every episode of this podcast series, and I am the Chief Pathfinder of Pathways with Patty. And once again, my guest is uh, someone who is filled with passion and purpose for what they are doing, not only to change their part of the world, but to also help other people make the changes in their own personal lives and their part of the world. This week, my guest is Clint Callahan. He is a therapist who has been working since the year 2000. He's a business life coach and created the Small Changes Big Impact 1% per day transformational system. And now he can add that he's an author. He published his first book, Beat Burnout in 15 Minutes a Day, How to Prioritize Yourself Without Losing What people practical psychological tools to beat burnout and stress in 15 minutes a day. His professional background is diversified and robust. It spans business management, program design, team collaboration, along with therapy, crisis management, case management, and EMDR trauma processing, which I'm sure he's going to explain what all those letters mean as well. Clint, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking about whatever we're going to talk about. Well, uh, you know, your your background, and I know when we talked a couple of weeks ago, your story is so profound and, and, and can reach and relate to so many of our audience out there today that I, I'm just excited to get into your story. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, please share with us our, your story about where you started and how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure. So when I was born, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces. This was 47 years ago. So that is basically, I'm lucky to be here. That's really what it yeah. came down to. It's what I was told by my parents that I was a miracle, that the fact that I can walk and talk and see and, you know, think and mm -hmm. just be normal is, you know, a very amazing thing. And, you know, on the one hand, yeah, that's a great thing. But on the other hand, it kind of is a burden to put on a kid, right? Because mm -hmm. I didn't ask to be born the way I did. It just happened to work itself out because for so many other, you know, kids my age, it either didn't at all. Right. And so from that, that led to, I went to elementary school and middle school, high school, and I was bullied a lot as a kid. And that really gave me a lot of anxiety. It gave me uh, people pleasing. It gave me depression. It gave me all these different things that were going on because of the bullying that then went that it created somatic symptoms with regards to how I dealt with it. Instead of talking about it, I held it in and it made me physically ill. And so I mm -hmm. missed a lot of school when I was growing up just because I was physically ill. My body reacted in that way. And then eventually it began to change from me holding it in to me letting it out. So I became really angry. And that's when my parents really noticed that, okay, you're a really angry kid. So that's when I went into therapy for the first time when I was about 11 or 12 years old mm -hmm. and that for me was the turning point it gave me words i didn't have before it gave me so that was that was a welcoming thing that your parents were having you do it wasn't like you yes. were fighting it tooth and nail no i don't want to go you welcomed this 
Well, in the beginning, of course, I fought it tooth and nail because I don't want to be different or weird sure. or strange or have to go talk to this stranger about what's going on. Right. But eventually it, it gave me words. It gave me language. It gave me understanding. It let me recognize, oh, there's more than there's more than three feelings. I can be more than just happy, sad or angry. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, oh, OK. That that's amazing. Right. You know, and so it allowed me to have this increased vocabulary around feelings and thoughts and how to express myself in a way that was healthy. And that began my love affair with psychology and with therapy and with all these different things. And so initially, of course, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in a girl profession because most therapists back then were female. Okay. And so I wanted to do something manly with my, with being a therapist or being a, being a, a social worker. So I wanted to join the FBI and be a behavioral mm -hmm. profiler and chase after Sheila killers. But after working as in a locked uh, in a maximum security prison for a year while getting my master's degree, it cured me of that really, really quickly. I can only because imagine. Spending every day in the minds of people that are going through this was made the world darker and not a fun place to be. Right, <laughs> so right. I chose to, I, I basically chose, no, I want to do therapy. I want to help people. I don't want to try to help people after they're gone. I want to try to help people while they're here. And so- mm -hmm. From there, that began my process of learning how to be a therapist and be a clinical social worker and do case management and all these different hats that I've worn of building transitional housing programs and all the different stuff that I've done throughout the course of my career. So real quick, though, when so here you are, what, what did you say you were 11 or 12 when mm -hmm. you um, obvious? I mean, I'm I don't want to assume anything, but you obviously must have had somewhat of a good relationship, working relationship with that therapist, mm -hmm. because I, I could see where if that experience wasn't very good, that would not have set you on the path that you're on now. So, yeah. so, so you found that to be a very good and positive experience with that therapist. And I did because the therapist was very good at breaking it down for me in a way that I understood. They didn't talk over me. They didn't talk down to me. They spoke to me. They mm -hmm. tried to get my story out of me, which is a lot of what I try and do with other people is I really try to get them to tell me where they are. Because when I was trained as a therapist, for most, most therapists, they're trained as, well, you're the expert. Right. But what I've found throughout the course of my career is, no, I'm not. I have mm -hmm. a good body of knowledge about certain things, but the person that's the expert is the person sitting across from me because mm -hmm. you're the expert in your life. So yes. if you don't tell me and you don't know what's going on in your life, then there's no way I can provide you any kind of guidance because you don't. if you don't know where you are, then how am I supposed to even know where you are? And so that's one of the first things that I tend to do with people is I help them figure out where are you? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? How do you want to have your, how do you want to show up in your own life? Because that's one of the big things that a lot of us are getting stuck in is most of us don't know how to show up in our own life anymore because there's so much distraction. There's so much information overload. There's so much digital stuff that can suck us out of our life mm -hmm. that we don't know how to be present anymore and that's one of the things that i've really noticed is really causing a lot of suffering for people that are now are now some people are forced to work from home where they miss being in an office which a lot of them said i never thought i would ever say in ever in a million years that i miss commuting to go into the office to be around people to be interrupted where yeah even though i may not have been as efficient i was more healthy and i didn't want to quit every day because right. I felt so isolated and alone. 
That that's exactly uh, my niece, who happened to be a podcast guest on my first season. Uh, she said the same thing because same thing when COVID hit, uh, they everybody had to work remotely, and mm-hmm. she said, "Oh yeah, at first it was like, yeah, cool, I can you know stay in my pajamas but still get paid, blah 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 blah." Yeah. And after a while, I mean, she really started noticing that that in person social one on one, she mm-hmm. was craving it. You know, yeah. yeah. It, it was okay to be on zoom with somebody, but it was not the same as being in a physical presence with another person. And uh, just the effect that I know that it had on her. I know that that was a common occurrence across the globe, actually. Yeah. And that's the thing is, so when I, when I got, so after my mom died and I got back in and I got out of, I got out of therapy for a while and then I got back in and then I was in real estate for a while. And then I got back into therapy. I was doing case management for a large insurance company in California. And I was doing therapy and case management, but it was all remote because the closest office for me was in Southern California, was in mm. the Woodland, Woodland Hills area. Okay. So I was living in San Jose. So I had to work remote. And so they would fly me down there and have me come down like every quarter just to meet and talk to my other coworkers and stuff to give me that kind of connection because Mm -hmm. otherwise it was so I was basically an island unto myself and that was also one of the times when I was the most burned out the most disconnected Mm -hmm. was because of that because I literally didn't I left the house basically my routine ended up being I got up got the kids ready commuted an hour and a half to work from home to take Mm -hmm. them to daycare and school come back home work cook dinner go to bed rinse and repeat that was right. my, that was it. I didn't leave the house. I, my wife eventually had to kick me out of the house one night a week because I didn't leave. Right. I just stayed there. And it was, I was the most profoundly unhappy and healthy than I've ever been because of that process. And that's the thing that I've noticed a lot of people that I work with is the more that I work with people that are working from home remotely majority of the time like 95 percent of the time the more they're craving that in-person interaction the more they're craving and feeling like they have no boundaries anymore with work mm-hmm. and that's the thing that is the most difficult is the digital age although it's amazing that what we're in the amount of information we have access to it also puts our brain in a continuous 24 7 on-call mode and when i first started out my career I worked in on-call crisis intervention. And the weeks when I was on call, I slept poorly. I couldn't relax. I couldn't even be calm because mm-hmm. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop every second of every day. And that's kind of what we've been programmed into with cell phones and notifications right. and all these different things that it is creating this new phenomenon called micro burnout that people are getting into. Well, that's an interesting uh, point, too, because uh, with talking, just talking about my niece, she said the Mm -hmm. same thing, that that was the tough thing is before when she was going to an office, when the day was done at the office, the business part was done and then personal time began. But -hmm. now business and personal was all in the same space. So she would work longer hours and Mm -hmm. she... there was no uh, delineation between business and pleasure anymore. And I know one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received was one of my principals because I was living an hour away from where I taught. And Mm -hmm. I I mean, I was really getting burnt 
out and he could see it and he called me in one day and you know that's never good when the principal calls you into the office and your boss calls you in (laughs) exactly (laughs) and i'm like oh my gosh you know what's going on here and he just said he goes he closes the door and it's like what's going on with you and i go what and 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 he goes like you just seem so stressed out and so i just started bawling and basically Mm -hmm. i i I was even though i was leaving the physical building and space i was still Mm -hmm. taking it home with me and what he told me he said you know what because because uh where i was teaching it was what's called up the hill i lived Mm -hmm. down the hill he said Mm -hmm. when you get to the top of the pass when you're leaving school Mm -hmm. and you're at the top of the pass once you go down the pass, school stays up the pass and yeah. personal time begins down the pass. And you know what? It was such a simple piece of advice, yeah. but it made a world of difference for me psychologically, emotionally, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I mean, then, I had that visual reminder. Okay, top yeah. of the pass, boom, that's it, you know? And that's a process that I go through as a therapist every day because my job is to be a professional secret keeper and advice giver. So I have to carry everybody's stuff. But I also realized, no, I don't. So I started, so it reminded me back of in crisis. And when I took my crisis intervention class, what my what my um, crisis intervention teacher said is, you have there's two ways that you can function long-term as a therapist is you have to learn to be the lightning rod. Because if you find out that, because if you are the one holding the lightning rod and you smell chicken cooking, that's you. Because that's what happens to us is we hold on to these things that we think that if we let them go, somehow they're going to magically disappear. But mm-hmm. they don't magically disappear. We still hold on because we want to do good. We want to get out of boys and out of girls. And we want mm-hmm. to be praised and loved for what we, we do need that validation. We need the validation. Yes, exactly. And so... I've had to learn how to basically have an invisible box next to my door where I take off my, where basically it's like Mr. Rogers, right? Where he comes in and he puts on the sweater and puts on the shoes and does all the things. It's like, you have to do that in your own brain when you're done with work at the end of the day, because don't have your email synced to your phone for work. Don't do it. That Mm -hmm. was the biggest mistake I did because I couldn't escape it. Then anytime an email notification popped up, well, I'll just, I'll just look at it for just, just a minute or two. And now my brain is back into work mode. Right. And, so and you just go down that rabbit hole and then yeah, you're gone. You can't help it because right. you can't help it because your brain is like, well, it's, it's just a second. It's no big deal. And then, you know, it's three hours later and you're like, oh, I've, oops, I probably shouldn't have done that. But right. that's what we do because we keep forgetting that work isn't going to go anywhere. If right. There's one thing I've learned in my life is that when I come back the next day, work is going to be here. Mm-hmm. It's not going to magically disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a client will disappear here and there, but that's part of life. But right. ultimately, it comes down to all you can do is say, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm entitled to a personal life. I'm entitled to a professional life. But that boundary between has to be a 25-foot iron wall that mm-hmm. only you have the key to get through, and you can lock it down at any time. Because if you don't do that, the boundary becomes so blurry between work and personal, especially working from home, especially having the ability to interact with work, even when you're not at work, thanks to technology, that Mm -hmm. we forget that we are entitled to personal time. And we don't have that personal time. It it begins to create, like I was talking about before, this micro burnout phenomenon that's happening. Because when people think about burnout, they often say, well, burnout is only about work. 
burnout is only because I'm working too hard. I'm doing too much. I'm not taking time for me, mm-hmm. but it's not. You can get burned out in your personal life too. You right. can get burned out in your professional life. You can get burned out being a parent. You can get burned out, you know, commuting. You can get burned out having to cook dinner every night and decide what the menu is going to be. It becomes this mm-hmm. decision fatigue that happens. And so it's recognizing these these micro things that then coalesce together and become the big thing of burnout when all of a sudden it does start to affect your family. It does start to affect your relationship. It does start to affect your work. And usually the last place that it affects is your work because that's your last bastion of Mm. if I let this go, I don't have a job, which means now my very survival is at stake. So Mm -hmm. that's why work is the last place that it shows up, but you've actually been in micro burnout and in stages one, two, three, and up to four, which is the work piece of burnout for like probably months, potentially a year prior to that. Wow. Do you, do you feel that um, burnout is definitely on the rise now more than ever before, or is it pretty much stayed the same over the past couple decades? Oh no. Burnout has increased exponentially in the last, ever since COVID, just because of the, of the very fact of that there is no, that the boundaries are blurrier between work and between home, that the sense of isolation and the sense of disconnection has increased dramatically just because of the way we communicate with each other. Because mm-hmm. before, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to do it in person. Then right. the telephone was invented and you could, but you'd have to hear their voice. Now you don't even have to hear their voice. Now you can just send someone a text message. And, right. you know, and, you know, and you, yeah, you can do Zoom calls, FaceTime, all that different kind of stuff too. But usually it's faster just to shoot a text and right. be done with it. Right. And it's right. That's the part that we're missing is that we're losing the ability to have social interaction in a meaningful way because even this, I'm getting about, about probably 30 to 40% of your body language in this. Right. And when, when before I'd get 100% because you'd be sitting right in front of me and I would see that. But mm-hmm. that's the difference is human beings, we were, we were literally raised for 250,000 years up until about a, what is that? FaceTime phones about 120 odd years ago when that mm-hmm. stuff started happening, where mm-hmm. it is face to face. It is person to person, eyeball to eyeball, that kind of stuff. And we don't recognize because our biology changes so slow that we are still stuck in face to face caveman times when it comes to social interaction. But yet, because of the digital interactions, they know how to ping that part of the brain that makes you feel like you just got an authentic connection, but yet, no, you didn't. Well, because that that's so true, because uh, I, I guess being an educator all those years and always being around people, mm-hmm. I did not realize until COVID hit how, uh, how I crave that uh, personal uh, space with other people until COVID yeah. hit. And I don't remember how it might've only been a couple of weeks into the whole isolation thing when, at least when they shut down the state of California yeah. and, and one of my other friends that just lives not too far from me, she called me up and she said, do you want to, you want to meet me and go for a walk? We'll stay six feet apart, but I just need to be in the space mm-hmm. of another person. I said, I mm-hmm. totally agree. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it was, it was an actual 
actual craving I had mm -hmm. to be in a physical space with another person. And that was the first time that I, that it really hit me how important, um, mm -hmm. uh, not, not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be touch, but just being in a physical space yeah. with another human, human being, how important that is. Well, and, and because it's literally encoded in our genetics, it's, it's a part of us. And it's that thing that as we, you know, as we continue to experiment with the way we want to do stuff with regards to how we work and the way the digital world is allowing us to have all this flexibility, but also it's still in the hands of people that are having to make decisions, right? Because it's like mm -hmm. the thing with COVID that they, that was, as they found out is, oh, people can work from home. So now we're going to save hundreds of millions of dollars in utility costs, internet costs, re, you know, uh, owning, you know, owning buildings, renting space, all these things. And so companies are like, yeah, let's switch to that. We'll pay for your internet. We'll do all these things and you can work from home. And it's great for them. What they're finding now is the amount of turnover that's happening in, in their spaces has, has doubled or tripled. Mm -hmm. And for most people, even in a mid-level job where you're making about $65,000 a year, the cost for them to replace you when you leave is usually around about is about usually half to, to the exact same amount of your cost that it costs the company when you leave. So wow. it's very expensive lesson that they're learning, but they still think it's worth it because they have all this extra money floating around because they're not paying for buildings and all this stuff. But the right. turnover rate is is accelerating because people are not getting the connection that they got before and so what i'm most fascinated to see is how is this, the, the generation of kids that were in covid for the first two years of schooling kindergarten and first grade how is that going to affect them long term with regards to social interaction because that's right. when the building blocks are created and so having as an educator you know so mm -hmm. seeing how that's going to affect things is going to be really fascinating in the future and actually it's kind of quite scary as well well, because I, I know some of my friends, they are, you know, fifth and sixth grade teachers, and mm -hmm. that is exactly what they're talking about, that they had hoped by this point, by the time they got in fifth and sixth grade, that those children uh, mm -hmm. had caught caught up, so to speak, yeah. and they said, mm -hmm. no, they have yeah. not. And a lot of it is from an emotional standpoint more mm -hmm. than it is from uh, from a brain standpoint, you know, an educational yeah. standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so going right along with what you're saying, I think there are going to be some very long term effects with mm -hmm. them, especially. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is as we continue to be more separate and as we continue to be more digital and you know, try to create you know, like like the metaverse and seeing each other in virtual world and all these different things is mm -hmm. it will still not be the same. No. Our biology is has not caught up even a fraction of a fraction of a percent to mm -hmm. what has happened in the last, say, 30 years with technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It took us 250,000 years to get there. So right. 30 years is nothing compared to what's going to happen. So maybe give us another 250,000 years <laughs> and having everything paused exactly as it is today, then maybe, maybe we'll catch up. But that's not going to happen. It's going to keep marching mm -hmm. forward and we're not going to catch up. And it's going to keep changing the way we interact with each other as human beings profoundly to where 
The hardest thing that I've noticed, especially, is the level of distrust that we have with just our even our neighbors now, or the lack mm -hmm. of ability to even know who our neighbors are anymore. Right. Because you're so isolated in your own little bubble now. Because mm -hmm. you don't have to go outside of your core friend group whenever you no. need it because of the way you can connect with each other now. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to something that you had had mentioned. Uh, during COVID, especially, mm -hmm. and and you're talking about people leaving businesses because they discovered, yeah. well, this really isn't what I'm passionate about. This is not yeah. my purpose. Mm -hmm. And so they left so many of their businesses. Um, do you feel through people that you've worked with and talked mm -hmm. with, are they, are they rediscovering their passion and purpose? I mean, no pun intended because that's the name of the show, <laughs> but is that, is that what you're finding that they're still looking for that or did through COVID, were they, were they able to rediscover a new passion and purpose? Some have, but a lot are still struggling with it because they were never really, because they weren't in touch with it kind of in the beginning, right? Because mm -hmm. when you, if you think about, of course, the educational system, when was it developed? It was developed at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution right. to train people to be used to an eight to five working job. Right. And we still kind of look at it that way. We've added some extra, extra stuff, extra flexibility, extra things to try to make it fit with the way the world is today. But it's still not the same as... The way things like I, I still think going back to apprenticeships and doing those kind of things, I learned more from doing my practicum, which was in person, hands on work than I did mm -hmm. in any of the classroom work that I did. Yep. And I think that is one of the things that as we continue to go through this stuff, figuring out those pieces is going to be very vital as as a species to move forward into this next evolution of whatever's going to happen, because we are still kind of balanced on this weird precipice of trying to of being stuck in the past but yet hurtling so fast towards the future that we right. don't know what's coming next and that's the part that is the most it's the most amazing thing in the world but it's also the part that is like yeah but you're missing you're almost missing out on some of the humanity of it as well and that right. is that's dangerous because if we don't see if we see everybody as the enemy then everybody becomes the enemy and mm -hmm. then we can't have civil conversation anymore than the very fabric of this thing called society that we, this grand experiment that we've been in begins to fall apart because, you know, the fact now, just the thing I'm most amazed by is because of podcasts like this, mental health awareness has increased exponentially uh, mm -hmm. with from celebrities, from people like you, from people like me that come on here and talk about all these different things that give people again, access to this kind of knowledge that before they wouldn't get it unless they came to a therapy session or they because it was almost it taboo because it was almost taboo and now it's like more and more people are saying no i am going through stuff i need to talk to somebody about the stuff i'm going through i need someone to name what i'm going through because i know how it feels to me but i don't know what it is all i know is i don't like how i feel i feel disconnected i feel empty i feel alone i feel mm -hmm. without purpose i feel in these ways and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm just suffering and I hate it. And I don't know what to do. And that's the thing that I'm seeing more and more and more is that's why, you know, when people are talking, when, when people ask, like, why did you call it beat burnout in 15 minutes a day? Why didn't you? Because when you read the book, one chapter is about burnout. Mm -hmm. The rest is about all the other ways that you can do stuff to get back to your life. I'm like, well, because it is burnout. It's not right. just about 
it is burnout. And burnout is not just about work, but because it's been categorized as that, people don't see it for what it is. So I'm trying to basically change the narrative around it so people can recognize, oh, burnout is profound disconnection from yourself, from your people, from your purpose, from your life. That's mm -hmm. what burnout is. And that's why it happens in these little micro bursts and then it becomes the big stuff. And then finally it gets to this thing where it literally affects your ability to be safe and secure. It vents because it starts at the base of the top of Maslow's hierarchy and breaks it all the way down until it's the base survival stuff finally gets hit. And that's what people don't realize is that the the base is where we is where is what we need to be able to get to those other things. So when that starts becoming affected, then you're in real danger because you it's one of the hardest things to pull out of. You're basically in a nosedive and you're now 500 feet off the ground. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of strength to pull out of it. And some people hit. And some yeah. people, if they're lucky, they might bounce enough that they can get out of it. And some people don't. And it's it's a really scary thing to see. Well, I think a couple of things when you talk about a microburst, mm -hmm. a couple of things that come to mind for me is I know that, and I can only speak for Southern California. I can't speak for anywhere else because that's where I spent my teaching career. Yeah. But when when we have only a couple of counselors at the school and each counselor, mm -hmm. their load is 500 kids each and sometimes more yeah. right there, that 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 is where an area right there that schools are doing, district are doing a disservice to mm -hmm. our kids because if they get to see their counselor once a semester or months mm -hmm. once a school year mm -hmm. just because you know oh they got to check on you know their mm -hmm. calendar their schedule for the, the box, next year yeah. and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that my friends that are, are are school counselors that is the thing that that um frustrates them the most because it's more than just getting kids ready and prepped to go on to higher education or military yeah. or whatever it may mm -hmm. trade school whatever it's dealing with the whole person. And I also yeah. feel going along with that in an education standpoint, we in California anyways have cut out what they what they consider to be the fluff, you know, mm -hmm. the elective classes where, you know, yep. music, art, dance, mm -hmm. all of these things. And these are all ways that I know for me, when I was in school, these were part of my outlet. This was my yeah. creativity, which mm -hmm. helped me mentally and physically and psychologically. Yeah. And now we're taking all that out and we're just putting more and more restrictions and requirements mm -hmm. on yeah. our kids that we're actually starting them on a burnout journey in elementary school. Yes. Oh, I 100% agree. And that's one of the things that I've, def I've I'm the father of two boys. My boys are, are 12 and 14 and a half. So they're at the wonderful peak age of, I don't need to listen to you anymore. And I might listen to you. I'm not quite sure yet. And <laughs> depends so on my mood. <laughs> yes, yes, it depends on my mood. And so I, I've witnessed that with them where for, for their mother and I, because she's a therapist as well, we really try to make sure that you know, that, well, we know we're going to screw them up. So let's try to screw them up the least amount of possible <laughs> as we can. And so we really work on really emphasizing, we, we limit their screen time. We make their screen time contingent on things. They get in, they, like they, during the school year, they get, they basically get two hours of video game time on Friday, on Saturday, and on Sunday. That's mm -hmm. it. The rest of the time, no video game time during the course of the week. 
they have their phones, but all their stuff is fully restricted where I can see everything that they're doing and I can turn it off if you sass me. I can just go like that. And they mm-hmm. get mad at me because that's where you always go first is you're just going to do that. And I'm like, well, you know what? Yeah, because you know why? Right now you're being extremely disrespectful. So you need to understand <laughs> what that means. There's consequences to your actions. Right. So we're doing these things, but we're also trying to have them go do sports, let them go do art, let them go do all these other extracurricular activities because being a well-rounded human being is not just being book smart. You right. have to know how to handle people. You have to know how to handle failure. Because one of the things my wife worked at uh, one of the one of the top intensive outpatient programs in uh, in Silicon Valley. And what she noticed was kids that were around 25 to 28 that had their first major failure didn't know how to handle it because they never got taught how to handle failure properly. So mm-hmm. psychologically, it broke them to the point where they became so depressed, they became suicidal or they literally became psychotic yes. because of it. Yes, that's the stuff that's so scary is when you take out the fluff, you're also taking out psychological resilience. You're also Mm -hmm. taking out the ability for people to step back and analyze a situation and say, you know, this really isn't the be all end all. This isn't going to ruin my life. if This doesn't go my way. And Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that is really frightening in the world is that we are tracking everybody towards no be in tech or be on YouTube or be in this specific way where Okay, well, what about what happens when we don't have any more plumbers? Well, it's going to be a problem. What happens when we don't have any more electricians? Well, it's exactly. going to be a problem. What happens when everybody is doing stuff that they that has no real technical value or skill? And it's, right. again, it's the diversity piece. But because of technology and because of the ability to, for people to get stuck in these echo chambers, it limited, even though it's designed to give us more expansive and more ability to connect, it's limiting it. We are as human beings are using it the opposite. We're using it to funnel and funnel and funnel and say, okay, this is the other. This is my group of people because we mm-hmm. can't help it because that's biological programming. When right. when you were when you literally were raised in groups of twenty five to hundred people, that anybody that would come in from the outside was looked at with suspicion because they're unknown. And mm-hmm. we still have that built into us because that lasted for about 186,000 years. <laughs> and so we've only had literally 30 years of this. So mm-hmm. let's take a step back and go, hey, do we need to make better choices around going outside to play? Everybody, right. I'm talking adults too. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Go outside and play. Get back to that childhood thing. Literally throw the ball with your kid. Take them actual live mini golfing. Go mm-hmm. to the park, do these things, be in the world, be present, because that's the stuff that gets is getting cut out and getting removed. Like the fact that recess now ends at grade four makes me sad. Yes. I think there should be recess all the way through college. Yes. Because you need that. You exactly. Need time to play. Yes. When you don't play, that's when you begin to burn out because that's where the creativity is. Yeah, no, no, exactly. So, so going back to your, your book, mm-hmm. uh, what, what is an example of, of something that somebody can do 15 minutes a day to, yeah. to help them prioritize uh, themselves? Yeah. So one of the things that I did, so when I was at my most profound burned out during my working from home stuff, I went back into meditation and mindfulness because I learned all about Buddhism and stuff as part of my studies of, as being a therapist and social worker. And so my thing that I still do to this day is I spend three minutes in the morning meditating towards what I want to get out of today. 
I mm -hmm. spend two minutes then journaling about it. And then I follow up at lunch for three minutes of meditation and then two minutes of journaling. And I do that just before bed, just to track my through line throughout the day. Am I following whatever goal, whatever thing bubbled up to the top of the surface at the morning, at the morning meditation? Because mm -hmm. the thing that people get confused about when it comes to meditation is they're thinking, oh, I have to be a Buddhist monk where my mind is completely blank and empty. And right. no, it, it, one of my favorite expressions that one of my Buddhist teachers told me is telling your brain to be quiet is like asking the wind not to blow. Exactly. It's yes. like you can yell at the wind all you want. Stop blowing. Stop blowing. And guess what the wind does? Just keep blowing. That's what mm -hmm. it does. And that's what your brain does. Mm -hmm. So it's not about telling your brain be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. It's listening and seeing what is the most common thing that keeps coming up. What is mm -hmm. the thing that keeps bubbling to the surface in that three minutes? And then look at that as how is that going to affect my day? Is it is it negativity? Is it fear? Is it positivity? What is the thing that keeps bubbling up? Because if you know that, then you can begin to change the way you're using that throughout the course of your day. Because mm -hmm. human beings, if you really boil it down, this is a biological computer. And you know what its programming is? Story. Mm -hmm. And guess who the narrator is of that story? We, we are. are. And guess and guess how we tend to narrate our story. We're horrible. We're bad. We're going to fail. Everyone's going to look at us and point and laugh. And we're going to be kicked out of the tribe and left to die. Mm -hmm. Because that is the base of our biological survival. Is If I get kicked out of the group, that equals death. Because that was the number one punishment for eons. For yes. 200,000 250,000 plus years. It even still happens today in different parts of the country. Yes. That if you get shunned from your group, it literally feels like death is coming for you. Yes. And that also explains teenagers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on because, many levels. Because teenagers, when you go into high school, all your hormones are now 400% jacked up <laughs> and everything becomes this life and death struggle of mm -hmm. trying to fit in and trying to become part of a tribe. So you're not in exile. So you don't quote unquote die. Yes. And that's the thing that we get stuck in. So taking that step back, taking that breath, recognizing the story that we're telling ourselves, writing out the story, then lets us look at it through logic because emotion lives on the right part, right hand, right hemisphere of our brain and logic lives in the left. But the emotion is, makes no sense. It always is going to, because emotion starts with fear, and it's the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. Then that gives you your main feeling, like let's say anger, and then under anger, there may be, there may be disappointment, sadness, and frustration, and that is what it is, because it always comes back to, it's a formula. Your thoughts plus your feelings equals your actions or your reactions. But the problem with a formula is that involves another human being. So that action or reaction attaches to another human being. So now their reaction to your action becomes their thought and their feeling, which then creates the loop you find yourself stuck in. Yes. So if you can recognize what you're thinking and you can recognize what you're feeling and you can call it out for what it is, which is usually a fear story, it allows you to take that step back and take a breath and go, is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy? Mm -hmm. And if you do it right, the answer is no. It never is. 
because our time and energy is the only coin that we really have to spend. Mm -hmm. That's what we're getting paid for when we go into the working world. Right. Like I tell my kids, your only job every day is to wake up, pay attention in school, and live your life. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. That's what your job is. That's what mm -hmm. everybody's job is. Right. And that's part of the process. Well, something I really appreciate you uh, talking about is that a lot of people think, oh, well, uh, in order for me to to do my 15 minutes to keep mm -hmm. myself from uh, of avoiding burnout, I've got to mm -hmm. do it all in one time. And what you yes. just showed was, you know, it could be broken up throughout the mm -hmm. day. Yeah. Uh, but but I know from a, a personal standpoint, over the last two years, uh, I pretty much have designated about the first 15 to 30 minutes where I do my morning devotionals, mm -hmm. kind of a mm -hmm. meditation to set my intention for the day. And what yeah. a difference it has made for me. And mm -hmm. then at the end of the day, over the past year, a friend of mine uh, at nighttime, we text each other and ask each mm -hmm. other, what was your win for the day? Yep. So it's kind of like, even though we might've been beat up a little bit throughout yep. the day on different things or, or felt bad about something, mm -hmm. we are reflecting at the end of the day on at least one thing that we could find that was a win. Mm -hmm. And what a difference it has made for me when I go to sleep at night to know I did accomplish something. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? Because we are... The one that thing that I often tell most of my life coaching clients and my and my therapy clients is you have to remember, you always have to remind yourself that the story and the things that you say to yourself, ask yourself the question after you say it to yourself. Would I say this to my best friend? Mm -hmm. Would I say this to my kid? Would I even say this to my dog or to my cat? Right. The answer is 99, 100% of the time, no. No. Never say that to them but things we say to ourselves is the most degrading denigrating hope crushing spirit crushing things ever because somehow we seem to forget that nobody's perfect right none of us are right we all strive towards this idea of what we're supposed to do but the striving is the journey to get there that's why the way that i teach people about goals is goals are backwards they teach most people teach people if you if you figure out what you need to do and then you do the stuff you need to do that'll let you have the stuff you want and then you'll be the person that you want to be and it's right. completely wrong you mm -hmm. need to first figure out who do you want to be then right. you need to figure out what you need to do to be that kind of person and then you go after that to have all the stuff that you want because mm -hmm. the thing that I've heard from most people is I did all the stuff. I reached all my goals. I got to the mountaintop. And when I got there, I was like, okay, who am I? Why did right. I do all this? Why did yes. I spend, you know, 80 hours a week achieving this thing only to have everything else around me fall apart? Because right. you aren't looking at who you are in the process. You put mm -hmm. that last instead of first. And that's right. one of the most important things that you can do in your life is you have to learn to put yourself first. And whenever I say it, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to be selfish. Right. I'm like, I I'm sorry. How is you taking care of you selfish? Did I tell you to not take care of your family? Did I tell you to not go to work? Did I tell you to not be a good human being? No. I told you you need to take care of yourself first because it always comes back to, if you don't take care of you, who will? Nobody. Exactly. Nobody will. 
Yes. Put your oxygen mask on first before you put on everybody else's. Same yeah, thing. You ever wonder why they said that? Interesting, mm-hmm. right? Now, we'll yeah. listen to that when it's on a plane, but when it comes to everyday life, nope, we don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, talking about us not being perfect, uh, when I first started delving into the area of meditation, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say who the famous people were that intrigued Mm -hmm. my my curiosity about meditation, but they always presented it that you needed to have that mind of there was nothing else there except the little mantra that you were doing. And I will have to say for years, I felt like I was a meditation failure Mm -hmm. that that way, you know, one area that I thought I could be perfect in, I was failing badly because as I'm doing this mantra that I've Mm -hmm. created, I'm still thinking about, don't forget to take the bacon out of the freezer. Don't forget. Oh, you got to take care of this. And what about that? And it's just like, oh, you were yelling at the wind. Is that what I was? I was. (laughs) And sadly, it, it, it took almost until about a year ago. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was actually on a, 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 a another person's podcast mm-hmm. and I happened to mention this thing and, yeah. and she said, Patty, it's okay. And, yeah. and she just get, she just twisted everything en- enough for me to understand that's human nature yeah. and it's okay. And like you said, go with that, but change the narrative. And yeah. if you have to afterwards, write it down, journal it, then you know, what's yeah. at the top of your head. And when mm-hmm. you're done then deal with those things and the best part about writing things down is in order for you to change it you have to do a physical act to do it which mm. then makes you really think about it right after you write it out if you don't like it there's three things you can do you can either burn it you can either erase it or you can rip it up Mm-hmm. but you get to choose and you have to do a physical thing to make that thing disappear and that's the thing that most people that it's the weird it's one of those weird things that i always find fascinating is how superstitious even the most rigidly analytical of us are for a lot of the people that i work with times when i say okay i just want you to spend five minutes a day just kind of writing out about what's going on in your head what you're thinking what you're feeling no i can't do that Okay, well, why not? Well, because if I write it down, it's true. And I'm like, Mm. but you're already doing the actions anyway. So you're telling me if you write it down, it'll make the actions you were going to do more true? Well, well, no. Then they they get all kind of confused. Like, wait a minute, but that, I'm like, exactly. That's what I'm trying to get you to see is just by you writing it out, lets it it not be a burden in here anymore. Is mm-hmm. then when you see it and the logic part of your brain sees this thing that you're going to act on. And it's like, are you nuts? Why would we act on that in a million years? Right. It's like when you write out, would you say this thing to your best friend? No. Well, then why do you say it to yourself all the time? Well, because, because I am that way. Oh, oh, you are. Oh, okay. Well, let, let's talk about that. Why right. do you think that you are that way? Well, right. because... This one teacher at this one time in second grade said this offhanded thing to me, and that's what I believe about myself now. Or my dad, this one time, asked Mm -hmm. me, how are you going to make a living doing that? Or this other time, this other adult in my life said this offhanded thing that they don't even remember saying completely impacted and changed the trajectory of how you think and feel about whatever you were planning on doing. Yeah. And it's amazing how 
words have that kind of power that for us, the word we used in that moment was literally just another Tuesday. But for that person, it became this new anchor of this new story that made them a part of who they are. So choose your words carefully. Yeah, think before you speak. That's what I used yeah. to tell tell my students, and and I shared this on another podcast. But one of uh, a couple th- uh, projects that I used to do with my kids, uh, and I completely forgot about this one till you brought it up about writing it down. Uh, once I I started out just once a year doing it, and it turned out every quarter my kids want to do it but whatever their greatest worry concern Mm -hmm. whatever it was I'd have them write it down and I'd have them slip it into a balloon and then they'd go over to the helium balloon helium tank and we would all go outside and I would tell them when you are ready to let it go then let it go and watch the balloon and and this was before the days when we found out that that wasn't good for electrical lines and all that so I'm just putting that out here right now exactly exactly (laughs) but it was amazing to me how many of those kids took, I mean, cause I did a whole talking thing, you know, through this yeah. whole process, but yeah. how serious, and these were high school kids, yeah. how serious they took this. And literally yeah. I could see them physically change as they released that balloon and they watched it yeah. go until they could no longer see it. And then yeah. they, you know, and they would watch everybody else's and they would just look around and you could just see like yeah. everybody looked lighter and they yeah. were completely different after that particular thing. And then yeah. another thing that I would do is I would give them each a little um, travel size uh, tube of toothpaste, ask them yeah. to get it all out on the plate, yeah. give them a, a, a toothpick and say, now put uh-huh. all that toothpaste back in there. Well, yeah. Miss Tulum, I can't get all this back in there. Exactly. The same thing goes for your words. Yeah. Once it comes out of your mouth, you can never put all those words or any of those words back yeah. in again. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, there are things that may we may have just said flippantly, and but mm-hmm. to that person you just said it to, 30, yeah. 40 years down the road, they're still hurting right. from, from those words. Yeah. And and that's one of the things is that so one of the things that I teach people, this is another thing that I do you can do in about five minutes, is I teach them a very specific process to help process through just like letting the balloon go. And so what I tell people is I basically call this an your emotional management plan. I have it in a poster. I'll send it to you. You can put in the links and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is basically the first thing you do is I teach them box breathing. And box breathing is a very specific kind of breathing that calms the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where fear lives. And so what box breathing is, is you breathe in for four seconds and then you hold for four seconds and then you breathe empty until you're empty for four seconds. Then you hold empty for four seconds and you do that four times. So it's four, 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 four. Oh. And that's and it, it, what it does is it basically is telling your brain there is no physical danger because the way the human body experiences anxiety, experiences large emotional states is as fear. And so it triggers the fear response. And human beings have one fear protocol, dump adrenaline, dump cortisol, mm-hmm. dump norepinephrine, dump all these things, get ready to fight or run for your life. Right. And the problem is, when that's happening to you at a desk, it isn't going where it needs to go. It gets stuck in your stomach. It gets stuck in your heart, in your lungs, and in your brain. And then it just cycles through those things, which is why you have, when you're feeling really anxious, you start to get that kind of that really upset, sick feeling in your stomach and in your guts. Why you feel like you can't catch your breath. Why all of a sudden you feel like maybe I'm having a heart attack because my, my heart feels like it's cramping for some reason. And that actually is what's happening. 
the more adrenaline that gets dumped into your body, your heart is beating faster and faster and faster. And then it actually does start to cramp because what is your heart? It's a muscle. Right. So you actually are having those kind of things. But the most insidious place where adrenaline causes problems is the human brain. Because what it does to the brain is it speeds up the how fast we think because it's designed to give us a faster reaction time to duck if a tiger's jumping at us, to, to do stuff like that. Right. And so that one second that you're sitting there feeling anxious now feels like 10 seconds. And so you do that for a minute. It now feels like it's been six minutes, mm. but it's only been a minute because mm -hmm. your brain literally stretches time because you're anxious. So the box breathing says to your parasympathetic nervous system, there's no danger. Stop. Turn off, turn off all the endo the endocrine wonder. Turn it off. Turn off the adrenaline. Turn off the cortisol. Turn all that stuff off. That's mm -hmm. the first thing you have to do because what people don't realize is when they think about, oh, I'm having anxiety, is it happens, start it starts in the brain. It doesn't. 80% mm -hmm. of everything that we experience starts in the body because that's where that's 80% of us is everything right. from the neck down. Right. So the body is where it starts. So if you can control your body, then you can control your mind. Because then what your mind does is your, your body says, hey, there's something dangerous out here that's going to hurt me physically. And your brain's like, well, I don't really see anything physical, but my boss did just send me that email asking me to, that they want to talk. So yeah, maybe there is something that's going to physically damage us when we talk to our boss. So yeah, maybe we should be anxious right now. Mm -hmm. And so when that's going on, you do the box breathing, then you do a minute or two of journaling. You get the story out of your brain as honestly as you can, literally verbatim, and mm -hmm. onto this page. You then go shake it off. You literally go and you shake your body off. You go and do some speed walking. You go and you know do some push-ups, some sit-ups. You go do something to get the blood moving, to get the adrenaline out of your brain, your heart, your lungs, and your stomach. Get into your arms and legs where it belongs. Mm -hmm. Then go back and read what you wrote. Because most of the time, when you read what you wrote, you're going to be like, wow, that's the thing that I was just going to act on. Really? That makes no sense. Because if I acted on that, then everything I was afraid of would have come true. If I acted on my boss is going to yell at me and fire me, I would have gone in there defensive, hostile, and angry to the point where they might have decided to fire Done me. That. Yeah where it creates the self-fulfilling prophecy because the fear story tells us that we are threatened. And that's why taking that five, six minutes to stop and breathe, because doing that four, four, four breathing takes about a minute and 20 seconds to do. Will you repeat what that is again one more time? Sure. So the first thing you do is you box breathe. And so you breathe in for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you then hold empty for four seconds, and then you breathe in for four seconds. So by doing that, it allows your parasympathetic nervous system to calm down. You then journal what's going on inside of your head. You then go and then you go and do a quick bit of exercise. Or you just literally just shake it off. You just do that stuff. Where Because when you do this, when I shake off my body like that, I can't stay mad or anxious because I feel like so foolish. It makes me just kind of want to <laughs> smile and laugh because I'm doing that to myself. Right. Right. Because right. it's like, you know, or I think of Taylor Swift songs when I do it, because then it makes me laugh even more. 
know? Shake it off. Shake, yeah, shake it, it off. off, right? You do that. And then you, you know, and then you go and you back, you go back and you read what you wrote, but you rank it on a scale of one to five. If if you're anything three or above saying, I still think this could happen, do it again. Because mm-hmm. that means you haven't cleared the gunk out of your brain yet. Right. You need to do it again. And so taking 10 minutes total to really get this out of you will then change the entirety of the next thing that happens. Because if you stay in that anxious state and then you move on to the next thing, now, now you're more anxious when you talk to the next person. You were anxious when you talk to the next customer. You were anxious when you talk to the next coworker. You were anxious when you talk to your spouse, to your friends, to anything. You're just, the anxiety doesn't just disappear on its own because the story is still there saying, but this could happen. Mm-hmm. What if? Watch mm-hmm. out. There's still danger out there. The world is unsafe. Mm-hmm. That's what our story is for humanity because for 250,000 years of our history, we were prey up until about the last 500 years. We yeah. were prey for everything. Right. Right. So that fear story lives in us. And when I tell a lot of other therapists, well, that, that feelings start with a fear story, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. But when I explain it to them, they're like, oh, wow, that does make sense because yeah. it's, it's not fear, it's survival. But for humanity, fear is survival because yes. be afraid of what's in the dark because you don't know what's out there and it can get you. Be afraid of fire because it can burn you. Be afraid mm-hmm. of eating that weird looking mushroom because it could kill you. Mm-hmm. Be afraid of, you know, that sticking a, po- a bobby pin in an electrical socket. Yes, yes, exactly. But that's the thing is once we realize that, that fear story is what starts the feeling, even in happiness. And people are like, that doesn't make any sense. How's their fear and happiness? I'm like, well, have you ever been with someone and been in this moment where it's just so amazing and so joyful and so wonderful? And then the thought comes across your brain, man, am I ever going to feel like this again? Mm-hmm. What is that? Right. Oh, is that a little bit of fear mixed in there? That maybe you'll never be this happy again? And that's the thing is when we recognize that everything starts as a fear story, the more we can uncover the fear story, the more we can look at it, recognize it for what it is, we can start sticking red flags in it and say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go down to anxiety town anymore. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. want to do these things because I'm tired of smelling Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, I'm tired of being the chicken that's frying. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) well and and, you know unfortunately there are people in my family that that's pretty much how they have lived their whole life is they're always Mm -hmm. waiting for the other shoe to to drop well this Mm -hmm. good thing happened and and i'll be happy for a few moments here but that's all i can give it because i've got to wait for the next shoe to drop that that's so sad it is and the way and the, the only way through that is you have to be willing to stop and face it that's what That's what the emotional management plan is. It's stopping and facing the story, facing the fear and deciding, is this justified? Because what I've found for 99% of my life, 99% of the things that I tell myself are going to, will, might, may happen. That's going to destroy my life. I'm still waiting for it to happen. And I've been through things where things happened that were horrible, but I didn't even see them coming. So mm-hmm. if I couldn't see the really, the real bad things that happen, what makes me think I can predict the things that never happen? 
And that's right. the thing that really mindfulness and these kind of things teach you is now is all we're guaranteed, period. Anybody yes. that tells you any different doesn't know what they're talking about because you can't fix the past because the past is over. It's locked in cosmic concrete. Until we invent time travel and completely screw everything up, there's nothing we can do about it. The past is the past. And you can't worry about the future because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It literally isn't here yet. That's why when you really think about this, the Annie song, tomorrow, tomorrow, you're only a day away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. What, have you ever gotten to tomorrow? I haven't. It keeps right. turning into today for some reason. It it's does. It's really weird how that works. Yes. You know, and that's all you have is today. Well, and I think when we get into that that cycle of worrying about tomorrow, we forget mm -hmm. to be present in the moment and we yep. miss so many things mm -hmm. that could bring us joy and happiness mm -hmm. because we were so worried about something that hasn't even happened or probably won't even happen. Exactly. We're missing out on this moment in time. Or it's something that we accidentally create and make happen because of our negative thinking, which then leads to actions, which then leads to reactions, which then leads to the very thing that we're afraid of. Self-fulfilling prophecy is real because we create it every time when we make choices that lead us there. And then and then, what does our brain do? It says, see, I told you. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but did you look at the last six months of stuff that we did? That led right. to this? Oh well, that that no, that 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 don't don't pay any attention to that. Don't that's pay right. Any that doesn't count to the man behind the curtain. No, no, it's the great and powerful laws. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, Clint, I, I I can tell right now I'm going to have to have you on again for for a, another episode at another time because there's so much more I know that we could talk about. But there are some questions that I ask each one of my guests that I'd yep. like to get into before our time is over here. What would you say is the very best piece of advice? that anyone has ever given you oh wow, that's that is really good there's so many pieces of advice but i would say it is the it's the lightning rod analogy is be mm -hmm. the lightning rod don't be the one holding on to the lightning rod because that was the thing i didn't do for the first three years as a young therapist and social worker and man did i smell like kfc <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else could probably smell it too yes, right they could. <laughs> What would you say that you are passionate about at this point in your life, personally and professionally? Professionally, it would have to be getting people to realize that it doesn't take monumental things to make change. That literally mm -hmm. it takes being mindful and making the right steps in 15 minutes a day and just changing the story around what burnout actually is, I, I would say is, is professionally. Personally is is my kids and my family is making sure that I can be the most present and engaged father and husband that I can possibly be. Awesome. What would you say that you're at this point in your life is your purpose professionally and personally? I try to live my life in a way and I try to teach people and be in people's lives in a way that is a hundred as a hundred percent authentic as I can be because I spent a long time being a people pleaser and a chameleon. So personally and professionally, I really just want to be present. I want to be exactly who I am with everybody that I meet because I've tried not being me for a long time and it really didn't work out too well. So I really, that's really my biggest thing I've been trying to teach my boys and trying to 
remind myself every day and always remind my clients every day is being yourself is enough. You are enough. That's where I would say that that's what I really try to do right now because we don't hear that enough. No, no we don't. What would you say is your superpower? I can read people because, mm-hmm. because of the bullying, because of the years of being a people pleaser because of trying to guess what people need i can read people's body language i can read what they need but i also have the ability to say just because i can read it doesn't mean i understand it so i then know to ask the right questions to find out what's actually going on to see if i'm right i test my hypothesis instead of just thinking that i know and that took me 23 years of being a therapist to really realize yeah you think you know, but you don't know. That's why my constant question is, did you get that? Do you understand? What do you think about that? Could you explain what I just said in your own words? Mm-hmm. That's why I love that kind of stuff. I, I love being a therapist because it's the best job ever because I get to see light bulb moments every day when people realize I don't have to live like this. I don't have to suffer like this anymore. And yeah. it's it's taken me a long time to really decide that this is, what I was built to do and it is awesome how would you say that you're living your best life or as I I like to call it living your best dash (laughs) I am present that that's it I am present I when I'm with people I try to give them a hundred percent I don't let the you know sometimes I let the wind blow through but I don't try to grab onto it because Mm -hmm. that's I found that that is the thing that when I do that I get disconnected and I don't connect the way the people that I want to. And then, of course, what do I say to myself? Oh, you know better than that. Blah, 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 blah. All the stuff. And it's not worth it to me because I've done that. And it is not who I want to be. I want to be a person that is able to spread hope and joy and change and that it's okay to not be perfect and that you are enough as you are. And that's that's just who I am. That's who I've become over mm-hmm. the last through all the things in my life that have led me to be here now. Wow, that's powerful. Are there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? Man, let's see, do I have more wisdom than me? Let me check here. Um, <laughs> when you are, when you are in that state where you feel like nothing is going right, stop and breathe and ask yourself, what would my dog do in this moment? Because your dog believes you are perfect. Exactly. (laughs) So my dog would probably say, give me a treat and take me for a walk. And I'd be like, you know, that makes sense. I probably should go and have a treat and go for a walk. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. And then you feel better when you came back from taking your dog for the walk. 100%. It's a (laughs) win-win. That's right. Oh my gosh, Clint. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I mean, this conversation has been so enlightening on so many levels and it has been a treat to have you here and i know that it's it's made such a difference for so many people that are watching and listening out there thank you thank you thank you i'm very happy to be here um i know that uh, there's going to be several people that are going to say i want to connect with this guy how do i do that so clint please tell them how they can 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 connect with you Sure. Well, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at smallchangesbigimpact.thenumber4 and the letter U. Uh, you also can find me on Amazon. Uh, use reading with my book, uh, Beat Burnout in 15 Minutes a Day. 
how to prioritize yourself without losing what matters most. And in my book, there's a QR code if it's in print or it's a, it's a link if it's in Kindle format where you can actually schedule a 15-minute free phone call with me just to have a chat or to find out more because I just want everyone to know that it's going to be okay and you can change in 15 minutes a day if you give yourself the opportunity. Well, I know that I definitely feel okay now after spending this time with you. I mean, it is once again, it has been a pleasure. And uh, we'll, we, we'll be looking at after the new year for a second episode to do with you, because I know this is going to make such a difference for so many people. Thank you again for this. Thank you for having me. I'll make sure to think of all kinds of new stuff. <laughs> Excellent. I don't I don't doubt that for one second. I know I know you will definitely do that. And for all of you out there listening, remember, if you want to get in touch with Clint in the description, whether you're watching it on YouTube or you are on one of the 10 flat pat platforms there we go uh for the podcast go to the description and those links that clint just gave you you're going to be able to touch that link and get direct access to him uh and be able to talk with him and as he just said he offers a 15 minute free call and uh, i know many of you will want to take advantage of that because he is he's very he's a very wise man on many levels so for all of you out there listening remember to also subscribe and listen uh to the podcast by following it so you know when all the new episodes are coming out and share it with your family and friends i would greatly appreciate that and don't forget also to check out my website which is www.pathwayswithpatty.com you can sign up for a free zoom chat with me and if you'd like to be a, a future guest on my podcast that's another way that you can contact me and you can also get my free pathway to a new beginning roadmap so until we meet again Continue to live your best dash and know that life's an adventure and I want you to enjoy the journey because your life matters. Thank you for joining us today and may God bless you all.